0: So would you like to curse Israel? It's just a question. I wanted, I'm just taking a poll. See, we're, uh, let's talk about that. We're, we're in the book of Numbers. Uh, we've been um, trekking with Israel in their wilderness journey. That's what Numbers means. The Hebrew translation, that is. The title is In the Wilderness. And there's a text before us tonight that actually gives rise to this option to curse Israel. And so I thought since Israel is very much in the news, unavoidably so today, I mean, you can't avoid reading about what's happening, whether it be in the United Nations or all over the place about Israel. I thought we would consider this as an option, and so that is cursing Israel. So join with me, would you please, in looking at this text. It's Numbers chapter 22. Uh, I thought we'd look at the whole chapter, but we're not going to, just a part of it. Look at verse 1. Then the sons of Israel journeyed and camped in the plains of Moab. Anyone know what modern-day country Moab is located in? Jordan. Jordan, that is right. I don't know if I heard that, but I'm acting as if I did. It's in, it's in Jordan. And, and it says beyond the Jordan, that would be the Jordan River. So where they are now, just to give you a little bit of a geographical frame of reference, uh, they are on the east side of the Jordan River Valley uh, in the modern-day country of Jordan, uh, That particular spot then being inhabited by the Moabites, and it's opposite Jericho. So Moab is on the east, in the center is the Jordan River, and to the west is Jericho. So that's the geography. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Well, just to refresh your memory, Israel wanted to travel through Amorite territory. They just made the request. They said, can we go on King's Highway? It would be a good effective route for them to take. And the Amorites not only said no, they said, um, well, well we're, going to, we're going to make war with you. And so the Amorite king led his forces against Israel, and God granted Israel the victory. And as a consequence of the Amorite attack, Israel was able to come into possession of some Amorite lands uh, on, on the east side of the Jordan River. So this person, Balak, the Moabite, heard about this and was quite concerned And so verse 3, Moab was in great fear because of the people, that is to say the Israelites. For they were numerous, there were a lot of them, and Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, now the Midianites are another people group altogether different than the Moabites. They're descendants, in fact, of the bond between Abraham and Keturah, and they were nomadic desert. Dwellers, primarily inhabiting the southern part of the Holy Land. So the Moabite king decides to form a coalition against Israel with the Midianites. He says to them, in fact, this horde will lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of Moab at that time. So he sent messengers to Balaam. So we're introduced to Balaam here for the first time. He is called the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river, in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, a people came out of Egypt. Behold, they cover the surface of the land, and they are living opposite me. You may not have heard of Balaam, but in the day, he was quite well known. Surely, uh, Balak, the king of Moab, knew of his reputation, and it consisted of this. In that day, they believed certain ones had the um, power, the gift, if you will, to manipulate the gods. They did not believe in one god, the gods, And certain ones, like this one, Balaam, had the capacity. He had access to certain magical spells and incantations and so on, it was thought, so that he could persuade the gods to do one of two things. He could persuade the gods either to bless people or to curse them. And I suppose he had some measure of success in it, at least it was thought so. And so the king of Moab sent messengers to fetch him. And he lived, it says right here, at a place called Pethor. And we know that's in Mesopotamia, which means the land between the rivers. And you perhaps know those are the Tigris and Euphrates River. In what modern-day country? Iraq. And boy, we hear a lot about Iraq today, don't we? So this is located, uh, that is to say, Balaam is in Iraq. The Moabite, Moabite king is in present-day Jordan, and the journey was about 400 miles. So this was serious business. Balak really meant something. So to cover 400 miles in that day, he sent messengers, would be approximately a three to four-week journey. He sends messengers to Mesopotamia, says near the river, it's the river Euphrates, Uh, there to find Balaam and to say to him, behold, a people came out of Egypt. Behold, uh, they cover the surface of the land, and they are living opposite me. Now, therefore, please come. This is the request Balak makes of Balaam. Come, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Well, let me just tell you that that is not true. It's just not true. I'll tell you what's true. Those whom the Most High God chooses to bless will be blessed. And those whom the Most High God chooses to curse will be cursed. It's not about some character. I don't care what his reputation is. Named Balaam who can manipulate the God That is to say, the Most High God. He blesses and curses in accordance with His sovereign will. This being the case, let's ask a question. I think some are, in so many words, asking even today. Is it God's intent to bless or to curse Israel? That's the topic before us. And it depends on who you ask, isn't it? So let's consult the Scriptures To see what God's intent is with reference to Israel. And then you and I can settle the matter here once and for all. If we want to be on God's side, we can just determine what his intentionality is with reference to Israel. We could do the same. Okay. So skip with me, if you don't mind, to verse 12 in this same chapter. Numbers 22, verse 12. God said to Balaam, do not go with them. Balak's messengers, you shall not curse the people, for they are, what does your translation say? Blessed. Amen. This ends our service tonight. We have just solved the Middle East crisis. (laughs) I don't have to listen to messages at the United Nations by the leader of any nation. I just found out what the Most High God intends with reference to this rather unusual and undeserving people group called the Jews. I'm just reading the Bible, and boy, it could make things pretty darn clear. Tell me if I'm missing. Do not do this. You shall not curse them, the people, the Israelites, the Jews. Why? For they are blessed. In fact, God done did that in the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 12, I shall paraphrase. He said, I will bless you, Abram, and your descendants. And what's more, I will not only bless you and them, I will bless those who bless them. And what's more, I will curse those who curse them. Now, boy, that message is sure getting mixed up with a lot of fanciful, political, theological mishmash. But I'm just reading a few verses of Scripture here, and it just tells me what I am to do. Could I tell you something? If you curse those whom God intends to bless, you do so at your own peril. If a nation curses those whom God Most High has chosen to bless... The nation does so at its own peril. You do not have to take that by faith. Just get you a good history book. And you'll see, this has actually been borne out historically. Balak is doing something he doesn't fully understand. He is seeking not to curse Israel. No, 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 no. There's more at stake. He doesn't understand this, but he's seeking to contravene the word of God, can I tell you something? It's not about Israel, it's about the character of God. He is seeking to contravene the word of God. He doesn't realize this, he doesn't know this, he's just a pawn of the evil one, Satan. But I tell you, Satan is full well aware of what his intention and motive is. He knows what he's doing, even if those, like Balak, don't have a clue. They're just pawns. They're just vehicles in his hands. Here is Satan's strategy. It's not so mysterious and secret. It's this. Undermine God's word. And if you succeed you will undermine God's integrity. And if you succeed in undermining God's integrity, you will succeed in undermining people's confidence in him. That's what's behind what's happening in the Middle East. It has nothing to do with Israel and the Palestinians, and that's why the brain trust of the world can't fix it. They have misdiagnosed the problem. It isn't geopolitical. It's spiritual. God said, I will bless. Satan says, I got it. If we can reverse the blessing and put a curse upon them instead, it will undermine God's word. It will undermine God's character. And it will undermine your confidence in this God who you are believing for your eternal salvation. Can you see what's going on here? This is what is at stake. So, so Balak doesn't get it, but he's still responsible for apparently he wishes to be used by the evil one. Contravene God's promise to bless Israel by cursing Israel, and God will be proven one of two things, either untrustworthy or weak. He can't fulfill his promises, you say. Do this, and people will cease to put their trust in the Most High God. Now, folks, this is happening today on many fronts. It's happening militarily. It is happening politically. And I think the most subtle attack on Israel is the theological uh, assault on her. Israel has no right to the land. Israel has forfeited the right to be in the land for she has been so disobedient. Israel has fallen from grace. That's theology. It's called replacement theology. And it, I think, is a more dangerous assault on the character of God and on Israel than any military or political assault could be. For if Israel has been replaced, then apparently God lied about his promises or is too weak to fulfill them. And if that's the case with reference to Israel, what is the basis of the so-called assurance of your salvation? Maybe God meant it, but doesn't have the means by which he could fulfill it. After all, Israel lost her divine rights. Aren't you going to lose yours as well? So the theological assault on Israel, in my opinion, is the most, most dangerous one. So let me tell you this. Uh, the antagonism towards Jews, uh, and you just can't deny it. I'm not trying to be a crybaby here, but let's just face it, folks. There's been astounding, multi-generational antagonism uh, towards Jews it's just quite it's quite irrational i mean you look at the picture just in the middle east good night israel you put your little thumb over it and you can't see it it's swallowed up in a sea of other middle eastern countries they just all over the place there's you know over 25 arab countries around israel Muslim dominated countries, you get one dinky Jewish state and even in that dinky Jewish state about one and a half million of its citizens are Arabs. There's only about five and a half million puny old Jews in that joint. What is the deal? It's just irrational to be so interested in uh, wresting control of the land. Good night, it's the size of New Jersey. Jersey. I got to be kind because their governor may throw his hat in the ring. I don't know what's going on today. I'll be nice. They have good pizza in New Jersey. Have you ever yeah. It's just look um, you cannot explain the crisis in the Middle East rationally except if you see it Uh, through spiritual eyes, and then it makes perfect sense. Here's the deal. Um, If if Israel can be driven into the sea, in fact, better yet, if all Jews can be exterminated, if the earth could be rid of all the Jews, um, then God's promises would be proven to be empty. And if God's promises can be proven to be empty, then God could be proven to be untrustworthy. And your faith is in vain. Can you see what's going on? Now the assault on Israel makes perfect sense. Listen, in July of 2000, there was a famous, now infamous meeting uh, hosted by our then president, uh, Clinton. And uh, parties to this meeting were uh, Yasser Arafat. He's deceased now. Yasser Arafat was the head of the PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization. And along with him was Ehud Barak, who was the then Prime Minister of Israel. And President Clinton was trying to broker a peace accord between these two warring factions. And at that meeting, the Prime Minister of Israel made an astounding and unprecedented offer to Arafat. Uh, And the offer was of an independent Palestinian state. Now that's why I'm so confused today that the Palestinian Authority leader, one of them, Mahmoud Abbas, has just made his appeal to the United Nations Security Council to approve his unilateral bid of, of, for um, independent statehood for Palestine, whether with, with or without Israel being at the table. But wait a second. <laughs> that was the very offer made. Years ago, by the very prime minister of Israel, he agreed to the establishment of an independent Palestinian state, and Israel offered to give to it 97% of the West Bank territory, which you see on the news, and Gaza, and part of Jerusalem for 3,000 years, the capital of Israel, since the time of King David. Now, any thinking person would say, good night, That's a deal you can't refuse, but guess what? He refused it. Why? I'll tell you why. The goal is not an independent Palestinian state. The goal is one step closer to forcing the Jewish state into the sea. It's just a Trojan horse. It's sheer and utter bunk non sense the goal is the annihilation of the jewish state of israel who's behind it the palestinians no are the palestinians are are the palestinians my enemy should they be yours never we are not permitted the luxury of hate we are given the privilege of being bearers of the gospel of peace we do not take sides in this respect. Who is the enemy then? It's Satan, just as he was behind Balak's attempt to curse Israel. Satan is behind this. Now, I'm not saying those who participate are without responsibility, but the evil one is behind it. See, what would the eradication of Jews uh, and the Jewish state accomplish? Easy. Easy. Stark evidence of the faithfulness of God to his word would be removed. Get rid of the Jews. And your confidence in God being faithful to fulfill his promises to you has just been removed. So let me read to you a passage of Scripture that is so significant with regard to God's promises and purposes to Israel. It's Ezekiel Uh, chapter 36. I just read a few verses beginning in verse 22. It's Ezekiel chapter 36. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake. You see, it isn't about Israel. It's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name. Can you see what I'm getting at? What I'm saying, the character of God is at stake here. It has nothing to do with Israel. It's not for your sake, it says here, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I cannot deny it. I'm not going to deny it. My people, the most spiritually privileged people group on earth, have squandered the privilege and are under the severe discipline of God to this very day. We're in the situation we're in because we removed ourselves from the protective cover of our own Messiah, and now we are being devoured by ravenous wolves. I'm blaming no one but ourselves. We have sinned against the one who loved us most. And God said, Right here, you Jewish people have profaned my holy name amongst the nations. Jews were spread out to bring glory to his name. We have not. We have defamed his name. I know that. And the text says it right here. God says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. It's not about Israel or the Jews. It's about the character of God manifested through the Jews He said, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. It's not about Israel. It's about God being made known through Israel. Can't you see the difference? And so it says here, then the nations will know I am the Lord, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. And how will God do that? For I will take you from the nations. That's what it says here. I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. May 14, 1948. God said this. I'm not looking to the United Nations. I'm not looking to our president. I'm not looking to the prime minister of Israel or the leader of the Palestinian Authority, and neither should you. Why don't you just look to Ezekiel 36? I will take you from the nations. Jews from all over the world have made Aliyah, means going up to Israel. They comprise the nation now. And I will gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then... I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, and boy, do we need it, and put a new spirit within you. Now, I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh, I'll give you a new heart, and I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. Hasn't happened yet. That's my point. It looks like God still has a future plan for Israel. So those who say Israel's been replaced. Somehow missed Ezekiel 36. This hasn't happened with my people. We haven't been restored. Repented. Rejuvenated. Regenerated. We don't have this new heart. We still have this heart of stone. Therefore it's an event yet to come. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people and I will be your God. That's what it said. That's not a Jewish guy reading this, although it is a Jewish guy who wrote it, and it's a Jewish Messiah who told him to write it. It's right there in Now listen, folks, that text is a marvelously striking expression of God's God's heartfelt intent to bless Israel and the Jewish people. Not for them. Good night. I know what we're made of. It's not for them. It's to reveal himself to be the God of all grace. The next time you labor over, will God forgive me? Look at the Jewish people. He's kept his promises to them. Yes, he'll keep his word to you so this is a marvelous expression of god's intent to bless israel but if you could exterminate the jews so here's the point then there would be none for god to bless and if there are no jews for god to bless then god's promises could not be fulfilled and if god's promises cannot be fulfilled then god cannot be trusted And if God cannot be trusted, then your faith in him is in vain. And if your faith in him is in vain, maybe, just maybe, you will worship one day the Antichrist instead of the real Christ. Can you see what's at stake? Do you get it? It's not political, it's not geographical. politicians can't get it. The Bible tells us what's going on. My point is this, the assault on Israel is not an assault on Israel. (laughs) It's an assault on the authority of God's Word and on the integrity of His character. That's what's at stake. So let me point out to you how crazy it is to curse Israel instead of recognizing that God has chosen to bless her. Balak, back to the text, even he realized by insinuation that God was already blessing her. Let me read to you again verse 5. He said, Balak, so he sent messengers to Balaam, son of Baor, "...in the land of the sons of his people to call him, saying, Behold, a people came out of Egypt." So he recognizes a slave people, a people in bondage for 400 plus years, cried out to God, and on the basis of their cry and his mercy... He delivered them and they came out. Even Balak is smart enough to recognize that doesn't happen. A slave people doesn't get out from under the clutches of the mightiest empire on earth unless God blessed them with deliverance. He said there's a people. They came out of Egypt and behold, they cover the surface of the land. He saw how numerous they were. Good night, they thrived and prospered in Egypt even under harsh conditions. They went with just a handful and they came out out with thousands and thousands of people. Balak is stating that. And then he said, not only did they get delivered by God, not only are they numerous enough to be a national entity unto themselves, but they're living right here opposite me. Good night. There they are, folks. They're there. This They're in the land God promised. He recognizes Israel's inexplicably blessed history, and yet in spite of it irrationally, he wants Israel cursed. Why? Because Satan can take people and nations and international leaders and make fools out of them, and he can get them to work at cross purposes with Almighty God so as to try to contravene his word so as to cast aspersions on his trustworthiness. Folks, it's craziness to fail to see God's hand of blessing upon upon the Jewish people who don't deserve it. That's the point. Listen, in AD 70, the Romans burned Jerusalem to the ground. They forced Jews out of the land. Since that time, Jews have experienced massacres and genocides and ghettos and purges and deportations and forced baptisms and concentration camps and Guest chambers. So I want to ask you, how could they still be? Numerous enough, strong enough to come to settle in their own homeland. You tell me. Folks, the establishment of the modern state of Israel in 1948 is very striking proof of the fact that God declared his intent to bless Israel, and he keeps his word. I would like for you... uh, for me to calm down, and then I would like for you to uh, take a gander at this video, which will give a glimpse of what I mean about this astounding, inexplicable return of the Jews to the modern state of Israel in 1948. Please take a look at this video. A little girl recited the Israeli national anthem. It's called Hatikva. It means "the hope." The hope of Israel, it's not its strong military. It's uh, brilliant irrigation methods. <laughs> the hope of Israel is not the support it uh, receives from the United States and other friendly countries. The hope of Israel is not it's, not its Judaism a man-made re- false religion. <clears throat> Hatikfa, the hope of Israel, it is the God of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The hope of Israel it is the God of Torah and Tanakh and Berit Hadashah, Pentateuch, Old Testament, New Testament. The hope of Israel is the God who has given his word to Israel. Turn to me, and I will accept you, and I will cleanse you from your sins. That's the hope of Israel. And if Satan can make it look hopeless, then God's word and promises are absolutely in vain. Dr. William F. Albright, for many years professor of Semitic languages and archaeology at uh, Johns Hopkins University once said, no other phenomenon in history is quite so extraordinary as the unique event represented by the restoration of Israel. At no other time in world history so far as is known has a people been destroyed and then come back after a lapse of time and reestablished itself. It is utterly out of the question to seek a parallel for the recurrence of Israel's restoration after 20 years. 500 years being outside of the land. When God made his covenant with Abraham back in Genesis 12 and his descendants, Satan took notice and he probably said to himself, aha, now I have him. All I have to do is destroy the Jews and I will prove that God cannot be trusted by anyone to keep his word. And if God cannot be trusted to fulfill his promises to Israel, how can he be trusted to fulfill his promises to you? Can you see what's going on? Frederick II was once king of Prussia in the 1700s. He had a conversation with one of his generals, a Christian whom he respected. And Frederick II said to him, give me proof for the truth of the Bible. And the general replied with only two words. He said, the Jews. The Jews. Proof of the veracity of the Scriptures. Look, folks, you cannot talk to a Babylonian or a Hittite or a Moabite today. But after tonight's rant, you want to talk to a Jew, you can talk to me. <laughs> We're still here. How would we dare say? We're better, we're stronger. The Bible says you're weaker. The Bible says you have an uncircumcised heart. No. We're here because God is true to His Word. That's why. We should have died out a long time ago. Jews were out of their land for 2,500 of their 4,000-year history. They survived six civilizations which have come and gone In their land, they have survived all attempts to exterminate them. And what does it prove? It proves that your God can be trusted. That's what it proves. It proves that the Word of God, the Bible, which you read and trust and love in, is trustworthy. It proves that God is a keeper of His promises and of His Word. It proves that if God has entered into covenant with you... Through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus and your faith in him, his son, you can count on his covenant promises being fulfilled to you, get this part, in spite of you. Prove it. I'll say the same thing, the Jew. In spite of the Jew. Israel's preservation proves what Moses said a long time ago, In the next chapter in Numbers, which, Lord willing, maybe we'll get to next week, I'll just share with you this one marvelous verse. Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it, or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? You say, I don't know. I say, you could know. How? I answered the Jew. The most privileged, yet the most stiff-necked people on earth. I know this. We reveal our nature. And through us, God reveals his nature. Gracious. Amazing. Let's sing Amazing Grace. Amazing grace. How sweet. The sound that say a wretch like me I once was lost, but now I found was blind. I see, and we see Lord Jesus, you lifted up we imagine with great expectation the time when you will gather us around your throne, characterized by grace, wherein we will rejoice forever. Our relationship, weddedness, will be consummated. We, your bride, you are heavenly husband. Thank you, O God, when we waver and wallow in doubt and pity and self-condemnation, we look upon your ongoing faithfulness in fulfilling your promises to undeserved Israel, reconstituting them in a land they do not deserve. And we take courage and confidence in knowing that we, being equally undeserving, still will come into the full measure of our inheritance this because you are a God of all grace. And Lord, we see, as you have transacted business with Israel, that though we be unfaithful, you remain faithful. Oh, God, thank you for the victory over the evil one. And while you're winning that one, we pray that the gospel of peace will go forward to Palestinian people whom you love and to Jewish people whom you love, to all people whom you love. This I know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, anybody who would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. Oh God, how could we be assured of the fulfillment and veracity of that promise, the Jew, and how you have fulfilled your promises to them in spite of them. Oh, God in heaven, if there be someone here tonight who thinks that marvelous offer of eternal salvation are just empty words with no backup, I pray tonight you will have spoken to them, persuading them that you mean it. And if anyone here tonight would say... I'd like to take you up on this marvelous offer. Forgive me, a sinner. Come into my life, wonderful Messiah, Savior, Lord Jesus. I accept your pardon. Thank you for casting all my sins behind your back. Change me from the inside out, for I have no power to change myself. And give me assurance that I too will come into my land of promise when I pass or when you return, whichever comes first. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.